dead Bob Rapod. Amazing, amazing interviews. Yeah, I don't even. I'm running out of adjectives to describe um, <laughs> these superlative interviews. Oh man, it's it's been such an incredible journey for us. We we started this podcast in December of seventeen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's been it's been some months, but we've had the rare opportunity to talk to some really influential figures in hip-hop culture. This episode is no different. We had the opportunity to talk to Easy Mo B, who is a producer of so many amazing records, probably the most notable being Flavor in Your Ear, but also... Uh, Ready going, to Die. Ready to Die. He had Machine Gun Funk, mm-hmm. um, Life After Death, yep. uh, Going Back to Cali. Yep. Uh, his, his catalog dates back to uh, the late 80s, and so... Just an amazing conversation. Um, really a storyteller. 100%. And a, such a New York cat. Yeah. Oh, it's just like dripping with New York right. realism. Right. I think uh, for those of us out on the West Coast, we're based in San Jose, California. New York is kind of mythical. And it's conversations like the one we just had with Easy Moby today that continue to build that myth. Right. Like, 100%. It's, it, it's exactly what I thought, except for that I'm always w- weirded out when someone has a car. <laughs> it's like they they live kind of in the outer boroughs, so they have to have a car. It's just like the only thing that could be more New York is if they did all this stuff on the subway, which wouldn't even make sense. But you'll hear right. it. But no, just, I mean, Easy Moby's a legend, legend, and if he had only produced Machine Gun Funk, right? he would be yeah. one of the best producers right. of the right. '90s. Right? Yeah, he's right. incredible. I mean, incredible, legendary, and I mean, this is the guy who worked with Tupac and Biggie and Young RZA and Miles Davis and just <sighs> all, all these cats that we ended up. Um, uh, talking a little bit about uh, during the interview and um, just unbelievable for being such a legend, but kind of understated. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And maybe not even, I didn't get to this question, but maybe not properly respected or or celebrated for, for his contributions. I think in part because he worked with so many people. If you look at kind of the, the monolithic producers that we think Mm -hmm. of, you go Dre, okay, he did records right, for Snoop, right, he right. did records for Eminem. Right. Um, you know, you think about somebody like a Primo, it was Gangstar mm-hmm. and their affiliates, mm-hmm. but Easy Moby, as you just mentioned, was worked with a, a slew of different artists from right. Big Daddy Kane to early uh, proto Wu Tang, yeah. even before totally. there was a Wu Tang. He right. worked with Jizan Rizzo. Words right. from the Genius. That's right. Words from the Genius, he was, he was involved with. Um, Rakim. Prince <laughs> Rakim. You know, he. He had a, a particular sound and a what I like to think of is like this very New Yorkish bounce. Right. Um, he talks a lot about the funk, um, mm-hmm. and there was definitely the kind of a West Coast bounce mm-hmm. to to it. But he had this interesting kind of of bounciness that yeah. I think is best captured on Flavor in Your Ear. But if you listen to a lot of his other joints, um, especially as you get into the early to, to mid '90s, it was this bouncy, almost like a, a Jeep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Music type of vibe. Yeah. yeah, and he did do that uh, Lost Boys cut. Uh, the, the Jeeps? Yeah, oh, the Jeeps. Okay. The, That's right. Famers That's and the right. Benz. And... Yes, and the Jeeps. Yeah. Um, I think it's, if it had been, the group had been Easy Moby and Notorious B.I.G., mm-hmm. we would have been having this phone call from a mansion. Right. Sure. You right. know what sure. I mean? Right. And right. so that, I just wanted to get back to your point earlier of like, it's Pete Rock and C.L. Smooth. Right. It's Dr. Right. Dre's The right. Chronic. It's, right. He never really put himself out there totally. like that. And, and especially, Call him back. I want to see why. <laughs> and, yeah. and that era, I mean, when, you know, Puffy's stepping more and more into the forefront, I felt like Easy Moby was taking a couple steps back. Well, that's you know a sad I mean? part. It's like when you think of who's 
Biggie's producer, you think Puff. Right. And right. in a way, that's true. Production means a lot of different things sure, in terms sure. of crafting yeah. classic beats yeah. that are seamless and perfect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's easy Mo B. Yeah. But you got to be a like liner note reader totally, to totally. know that. And, and that's it, that's our Steve. It definitely uh, bled through the interview, though, that dude's a music lover. He's still oh, talking about his love court. of truncating samples. And, you know, this is yeah. that guy. Collecting Toots. soulful collecting music from records. all of throughout history. Right. Last time you saw Miles Davis. I mean, there's a lot to get into with this interview, guys. Absolutely. So this is, I, I mean, I'm almost afraid to say it, but that's kind of what we do. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's kind of uh, a flex. That was a flex. A little bit of a flex, but, you know, we, we started out this podcast um, as three uh, dad bots um, who love hip-hop music and who talk about it incessantly and have done so for for many, many years. But to be able to really talk to some of of the, again, people who shaped culture, who have made Mm -hmm. incredible works of art, and be able to kind of hear the backstory, um, we hope that you enjoy it. We enjoy it here. I'd be smiling like a small child when, uh, when we're doing interviews like this. So hopefully you enjoy it. This is our... In-depth interview with Easy Moby, Dad Bod Rap Pod. Peace, Nate. Peace, Damon. What's up, man? Hey, yo, Moby. So All I mean, right, what's happening? Welcome to the show, man. Um, huge fans. It's an it's an honor. Um, we've um, recently you've been in the news uh, for a little bit with the uh, Craig Mack and uh, you know the whole uh, situation with that. Um, how did he strike you as an MC, and how was working with him? Um. I would say like animated. Okay. Um, um, real peculiar fellow though, because um, as a, as animated as he was, like he's also spiritual. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and and um, you know, if if I had to like kind of describe that part of him, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess that that kind of display like the. The humble, realness, mm-hmm. real part of it. That, like, I remember I read, uh, what was the book that, uh, by uh, Marvin Gaye. I read it back in the, the late, the 80s, a long time ago. And I remember that, um, they had a thing where they said, um, if you walked up to Marvin Gaye and you asked him, hey, man, how you doing? And he would, whatever the state, that he was in at that time, he would be like, he, if he wasn't doing good, he's not too good, not too good. Mm-hmm. And like Craig was like that. Mm. You understand what I'm saying? He was just this real person. There was no faking. There was no lying. Mm. Everything was like, like straight up. And then to show that he could go from like being as animated, energetic, lyrically mm-hmm. as he was, and then you sit down with this man is the same man. He sit down and he have a spiritual conversation with you. Mm-hmm. Talk about his love for God. You know, that whole spiritual thing about him, that wasn't, that wasn't nothing new. Like I got that from him from the beginning. I always knew him to be like that. Word. So did, uh, when, when you started working with Craig Mack, he really came with a new sound on his first album and you were really one of the architects of that. Like, for flavor in your ear and get down and all that stuff, were you in conversation with him about the sound that you were trying to create with those records? Actually, you know, he, on those tracks, he kind of followed me. Like, mm-hmm. he didn't know 
what I was coming with. I just came what I came with mm. and presented it to him. One thing that um, we did have a conversation about real early on, I learned from him, is that he was a lover of the funk. Mm. And this, this should be no question. Um, look at the camp that he came from and who right. he, hang, he hung around with in the 80s, uh, EPMD, yep. mm. you know? And, and that was the basis to, like, everything that they did, funk. So I kept that in mind, you know, he constantly would use that word funk. I'd be playing a beat and he'd like squinch up his face to him. Ooh, won't be. That's that funk. Mm, so I tried to ride along those lines and not forget that. And uh, that's what flavor in your ear and um, get down, particularly those two singles right there. It's very, very funky. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Did you know flavor in your ear was going to be the smash that it was when you made it? Well, I knew that it was a good beat. Mm -hmm. I knew that much. Um, and I knew that I was going to get the ear of the street. Mm. You know what I mean? I, know they was, I knew they was going to take to it. But to have a, a machine behind it like Bad Boy, mm. yeah. you know? And the whole marketing spin that uh, Shelter, uh, Sean Puffy Combs, and the spin that he put on his marketing spin, and before you know it, um, it blew up and grew to what it was so yeah i had an idea of how great the beat was but then when it became a song i was like oh yeah but <laughs> i didn't know that it was. <laughs> but i didn't know it was gonna blow like it like it did um a lot of people they may not be familiar with the history of the um hip-hop ch charts dating back to the 80s but flavoring your hair sat for 16 weeks at number one mm, wow. on the on the R&B hip-hop charts. And then um, the only record to come and knock it out the box years later was uh, Missy's Hot Box. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean Hot Boys. Right. Hot Boys. So that's quite a, an accomplishment, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> For sure. This oh. is back in the 90s. This is not new millennium. You know what I mean? <laughs> we had no, no, no social media, no right. internet, no, you know, none of that. Uh, yeah. Kind of speaking of the changes since then, what kind of gear were you working on back then? What was the, the main sampler? The Emu SP-1200, and, and um, I was big on those uh, Akai mm. rack mount samplers, the mm. S900, S950. Those are my joints. Do you think that the limitations of, like, for example, sampling time made people more creative? It doesn't seem like music's getting better with more technology available to me anyway well it definitely did that for me you take for instance like a loop say for instance um we could use the honey the honey drippers um impeach the president as an example now i learned this from listening and watching molly mall mm. early on back in the day and, and i'll reference the bridge mc shans the bridge in comparison to the honey drippers on on the bridge Obviously, that's what Marley said. Why do I have to take that whole loop when I can just go in and take the kick, mm -hmm. the snare, the hi-hat, and rebuild it? And that's exactly what he did. And um, so that machine has forced me into, from watching him, a lot of the other great producers from the 80s, uh, Sed G, uh, Jazzy J, these are like a lot of the people, the earliest ones that I saw working samplers, and mm. Howie T., 
Herbie Lovebug, mm. you know, I, I studied those cats and I yeah. sat and I listened. And that's what made me make the use, the biggest use of that machine that I could. My idea was like, I used to go to cats' house and I see they have like racks of keyboards and all of this outboard gear and equipment in their house, mm. in their studio. And I go back home, I'm, I look at my little stuff, I'm like, you know what? I don't care what they got. I'm going to make sure I sound just as big or bigger than them. <laughs> mm. Right on, right on. You know what? Um, you're naming all these uh, characters and names and iconic cats that your history has been um, intermingled with. Um, you're one of the few who worked with both Biggie and Tupac. How did they strike you as MCs and just as friends? Well, as friends, um, definitely, man. That was that was like, uh, that was a given. That was easy. Um First of all, let's talk about how I even first learned about Biggie. <laughs> One day I went by um, DJ Mr. C's house. He used to live in Brooklyn over there on Gates Avenue. Just went, went by to go check him in. He was like, yo, I got um, this tape of this dude I want you to hear. And he had um, made a demo with him. I was like, yo, cat is dope. Never heard nothing else out of him before. Went to a meeting that I was sent to by Francesca Sparrow, rest in peace one of my managers from Rush back in the day, they wanted to play me a new artist. The new artist was the the cat that Mr. C played me. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yo, that's that dude. <laughs> so we started hanging. Come to find out, at that time, I was living on um, Clinton Avenue between Gates and Green, just like Chug Rock said. <laughs> <laughs> and come to find out, Biggie lived like just two, three blocks and around the corner from me on St. James. So we gelled, mm. came over the house. We used to ride in the car. Um, Craig Mack, the same thing. Only thing is that he uh, he came from Long Island. He was from Long Island. And a lot of the times that we met her, we would meet up in the studio. I have to say I probably was a lot more closer and intimate with Biggie. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as far as the hanging out, actual hanging out together, mm -hmm. and uh, definitely Biggie. Me and Big used to do things like, for no particular reason, he wasn't driving yet. I was the one that had the car. <laughs> I'd pull around, uh, I'd pull around on uh, Fulton on that strip right there between uh, Washington and, and um, St. James, where him, he and Junior Mafia, they used to be out there in the block. I'd pull up, i see him standing out there doing that. I'm like, Big, what, what you doing? Said, oh, let's take a ride. We would jump on, like, no lie, man, seriously, we would jump on, like, Belt Parkway. You know what I'm saying? Fort Hamilton Parkway or just ride. And he would just, we'd play music, play the beats, and he'd tell me how he wanted to arrange his songs. And so I think I probably had more of an intimate closeness with Biggie, and there was more of a meeting up in the studio with, with Craig Mack. Okay. Well, what about Pac? Did you work directly with him? Yeah, I worked with Pac. Now, I met Pac. It's a funny story. I met, if it wasn't for Big Daddy Kane, I would never met Pac. Wow. You know that famous freestyle? Gonna do it like this. We're Brooklyn. We're Brooklyn. <laughs> of course. Yeah, they did that freestyle at Madison Square Garden, the Budweiser Superfest. And um, Kane had brought a bunch of them out on stage. And uh, after the freestyle, matter of fact, me and my group, Riff, we was on the stage with him. And after that was over with, 
um, we was just hanging out with Kane, tagging along with him backstage. And, and then here come Tupac. He popped up. He was like, yo, what's up? He said, yo, you uh, you did the party and bullshit, all of that, right? I said, yeah. He said, yeah, I want to work with you. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is cool. Me and Riff, the only thing we was trying to do is tag along behind Kane. <laughs> and I got a, a, a gig with Tupac. So I was like, okay, cool. And um, he um, invited me to the set where he was taping Above the Rim mm-hmm. at oh, Rucker Park. Mm. Across the street from Polo Grounds. Went up there. He said, yo, I get breaks, man. Come in my trailer. So I came and I played him this beat. First beat. He okayed it. He was like, yo, that's dope. He was like, you know, play me some more. And uh, the beat that he liked, that he okayed, that one, it was just a beat at the time. It was uh, Temptations. Mm. Yeah. And uh, then he had an idea. He wanted some Bootsy, so I ended up making two joints off of Bootsy for him. Um, Yeah, um, we spent a lot of time in unique recording studios when it was there. There's a whole different redevelopment thing going on in Times Square right now. So right. Unique Studios is not there. We spent a lot of time in that building. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Did he? I watched him when he would go to court, and then he would uh, he would he would go to court by day and meet up at the studio at six o'clock. Wow. Yes. Was and was he coming in and just shake off all that pain from the day from the court? It was crazy. And, and was did it. When the kind of rift happened with with him and Big, was that was that tough for you to be somebody who was kind of cool with both of them? It's kind of uh, it's crazy that you asked that question because um yeah it put me in the middle. I mean like here's two dudes that I knew well and that I worked with both of them Big before Pa in that particular order, and then when the thing that happened between them it just yeah it made me feel like I was I was being put in the middle. Not that I had to choose between two sides or anything. I'll tell you one thing, and I've never ever said this to anybody else before in an interview, but I'll say that I'm just glad that I got all the records done. <laughs> before that beef set in. I'm so glad that I got all the records done. First I worked with Biggie and then I worked with Pac. By the time I worked with Pac, somewhere immediately right after that, then that's when, you know, they started to um, go at each other and become enemies. But um, I am. That's the first time I've ever said that in a, in a, or wow. anywhere. But I'm glad I got those records done before mm. they got into that, which proves that I was there at a time between two who were really, really friends, and I always push that. I always make sure to mention that because so many times uh, we thrive off of the negative. Yeah, and I was a I was a witness for the uh, running from the police, which, which was the title was knocked down to simply running. Mm. That record is the is is the pure, the purest example. We were we were all in the studio there recording together, and they were cool. They were friends and everything. Wow. Mm. Can we yeah. talk about another artist that you worked with, which was Slick Rick on his kind of comeback record? Um, do you have any memories or stories on that one? Slick Rick behind bars. Okay, <laughs> let me tell you what I rem- let me tell you what I remember. I remember that they gave me an address, some remote secret location, upstate New York, 
And I remember it was dark. It was <laughs> night. And it was raining that night. And I remember driving to this remote upstate New York location. And when I got there, I waited. I got there before them. And when he arrived, he arrived with um, like a bodyguard. Hmm. Excuse me, an armed bodyguard. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and the, the armed guard stood there, stood on his post like the whole time while we recorded and everything. I was like, wow, yo, this is serious, man. <laughs> wow. and, was, you know, was that the first and, time? You know, I've changed. And, you know, I've, I've changed. You know, there's a lot of things that I don't do anymore. But <laughs> there are some things that I wanted to do that night. And um, the engineer and my manager before beforehand, before I got there, they told me, said, I don't think it's a good idea if you do that tonight <laughs> while you're recording this <laughs> way. The, the environment may not be uh, suitable. Mm, okay. So... <laughs> Was that the first time you met Rick? Um, actually, knowing him and spending time with him, yes. Mm, okay. Other than that, from um, other than that, see, um, I was managed by uh, RPM, which is Rush Producers Management, the mm -hmm. producer management division of Russell Simmons Rush. So we would like be in passing. Sure. But I never ever really got the chance to actually talk to him or get to know him. So yeah, that was the the first real true meeting and spending time with him. Okay, okay. And he had all and he came came to the studio, he had the patch on his eye and he's a real laid back, uh, calm dude. Mm. Really, really guy next door mm. type of dude. Like, wow. Calm and Wow. Well, you, you know, we're talking about so many of your sort of epic um, collaborations um, through the years, which have been some of your favorite. I mean, you've worked with Miles Davis, you've worked with, you know, Method Man, a, a young RZA. I mean, who kind of stands out when Moby is sitting back and thinking about his career? you asking me in particular about them or any of one that I could remember of uh, my own? No, just, just out of those cats that you've worked with, who, who struck you? Who, who, who do you remember your time with a lot? Miles Davis. Um, those, um, those, those times of meeting him and just, just watching him, he, he was real moody. Like mm -hmm. there was times where he'd be joyful and be up. And then wow. other times he was like more laid back and quiet and reserved. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the last sessions, his girlfriend came by the session, and I remember he had on this white dress shirt. I think they were going somewhere after the session, so that's why he was dressed that way. And she came to the session, and, and uh, he pulled up his shirt, and he was cutting up and, you know, <laughs> acting a fool and real joke-like joke mm. with her. I was like, wow, I've never seen him like that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he had he had the, the varying moods and and then a lot that I didn't understand that I found out later it was like he was sick, man. He was going through a lot. So mm. what I probably didn't know is, you know, there was times where he wasn't feeling his best. Like mm. the very first time I went to um, 
the apartment that he used to stay at on Central Park West. He was staying between 88th and 89th. Mm. And I was playing like, um, we had cassettes back then, and I was playing him some of the stuff, the tracks I had in mind for him. And he was laying there and on the sofa, and he laid back and he had, imagine if you took the inner part of your arm, you fold your arm over your, your forehead and you lay back almost like you got a headache. Mm-hmm. He laid down. I was like, Mom, is you all right? He said, I'm all right. Just, just, just leave the tape over there. Just leave the tape over there. I'll listen to it later. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. That was my signal. And then, the, um, what do you call it? The assistant in the house. Mm-hmm. He said, yeah, he's, he's not feeling too good. Um, and then, his manager had told me, look, we got to travel and he's got to go do some shows. I forgot exactly where he had to go. He said, we're going to come back and we're going to finish. And uh, that was the last time I saw him. Oh, wow. wow. So six songs recorded and that's not an album. So Warner dug into the archives and pulled out these um, never released before songs. I don't know if I'm right. I think I am. I think they came from the Prince Rubber Band sessions. Mm-hmm. Okay. But the songs that I remixed, they ended up becoming the ones on the album called uh, Fantasy and High Speed Chase. Okay. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, so if we could a, a little bit, I just wanted to talk about the Bad Boy era. Um, you talked a little bit earlier about how huge flavor in your air was in part because of the, the kind of muscle behind that, but you were there kind of on the ground floor. That was the kind of the hit that built bad boy. Can you talk a little bit about kind of working with, with puff, um, in that era when he was on the come up and kind of what that vibe was like? Okay. Um, yeah, I do agree with you. Yes. Yes. That is the building block the original building block to Bad Boy, Flavor in Your Ear. Um, That's the first hit record for the label. Um, I don't think that, I'll be honest with you, I don't think Puffy had, because he he remixed a lot of other stuff and he was involved with a lot of other producers, but I really don't think that he ever had anything of of that texture, anything that Mm -hmm. sounded like that. And I think he realized (laughs) (laughs) and and capitalized off off of that. It's like, yo, this is crazy. (laughs) I've told the story before that somebody else was holding the beat. I won't continue to tell that because I'm not trying to disrespect them or whatever. (laughs) But they passed over it. And and they they missed out. And I remember Puff was like, you holding that for who? (laughs) <laughs> he said, man, I'll cut you a check for that right now. I said, so? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad that um, I wasn't loyal. <laughs> 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 because I wouldn't much. be here talking to y'all today. Man. You know? Man, man. I really wouldn't. Man. Um, yeah, but... Um, that 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 sound and only thing I was really trying to do I was trying to recreate um, that early excuse me mid to late eighties juice crew 
Bali Mall type feel. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Like, I wanted something, you know, like that. Because, cause look, because Craig Mack, he, I don't think I ever said this before in an uh, interview or anything before either. I think I kind of likened him to a Bismarcky type. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Of kind Would of, you agree with that? Um, a, a little bit in that his delivery was kind of, you know, respectfully. No, I mean personality and mannerisms. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Animated. Yeah, animated. Kind of a exactly. bugging out. Exactly. <laughs> so to me, that matched. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. What I was trying to do, you know. Yeah. So, so how? What's what's your take on on? Beat makers nowadays, there's a lot more equipment, you know, as Nate alluded to, there's a lot more stuff going on. Is there anybody you're checking for? Is there is there something that's, you know, new producers that you're into at all? Man, there's so many people that come out right now, so I, I really can't keep up. <laughs> I'm being real, real honest with you. I will say this right here, though. Um, there's a lot of advantage in in the, the state of the art. Mm-hmm. equipment that we have out here today you got a lot of um opportunities you got a lot of features with the equipment first of all you got to do is just say one word digital digital versus yeah. analog <laughs> yeah. um from hardware to software oh man there's just so many things that's so much easier that you can do so much faster that you don't have to spend so much time on mm. anymore and in my opinion that's a good thing. That's a great thing. But I think it's also made us kind of lazy. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, because um, you take, for instance, like truncating a sample, mm-hmm. chopping up samples, like the manual process of sitting down and chopping up samples, still to this day, I enjoy that. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. the craft. No, I'm serious. I, I do. I, it, it's an, it's an art. Mm-hmm. And, and, I don't know if we should really, really get too reliant on a lot of these um, digital fixtures mm-hmm. that we have here. Um, I think that goes across the span of a couple of things in the, um, the, the say, like the drum machines and the sampling equipment. And all that, what you're saying right there and you're asking about also kind of transfers over to DJing as well. Mm-hmm. You know, and y'all being, uh, what is the uh, key compound word in the in, in the title of the name of your magazine? Uh, wax. <laughs> wax. Oh, wax poetics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, man, and that, and that's me, man. I'm, I'm I'm still a lover and a believer in the vinyl, man. I, yeah. I, I appreciate the I appreciate the technology, but I, I'm continually um, incorporating. The old guard on that into note, what I do. Sorry. Um, on that note, what what music do you listen to for fun? Do you listen to hip hop or do you listen to old school? Like, what's your vibe? People have no idea about uh, my musical range. Man, I love some of everything from funk, soul, blues, gospel, disco, house music. Mm. If y'all didn't know, like, I've been DJing since I was, like, 12 years old. I've been on the turntable since 12 years old, when you count that up. <laughs> wow. 
Well, yeah, I mean, I remember no, us talking about that. Yeah, when you count that up, and yeah, I know I'm kind of telling my age. That's a little over 40 years. <laughs> Been on the turntables for a little over 40 years. That's wow. a long time. Yeah. But and so you can imagine how many different records that plopped onto that turntable, onto that record player mm-hmm. for me to listen to, and it still happens, man. I listen to a little bit of everything, man. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean... A little bit of everything. Yo, Moby, so your history, I mean, is so is so incredible, so long, um, just interwoven with so many incredible people and stories. Um, but now it's a new generation. So so for cats who've never heard of your production, what what do you want them to say about Moby when they finally, you know, hear the what or when they hear flavor in your ear? If there's nobody that has ever heard of Easy Moby or even after I leave here, what would I want people to think about me? I would want people to think that I was really, really serious about mm. my music. I was a real lover of the funk, <laughs> the blues, the soul, the jazz. Uh, those elements right there will always remain the basis to everything that I do one way or another. Mm. I'm going to work it in there. It's going to be the foundation to everything that I do. Yo, thank you, you know, so I much. House, I have house music in here. And <laughs> it's soulful. Yeah, yeah. We'll do 100%. Yo, so for Damone and for Nate and for myself, uh, thank you again so much for your time, OB. And uh, we'll, I'll hit you up in the side and we'll, we'll talk soon. But thank you for staying up late with us, man. All right, peace. Thank you. Peace. And a one, and a two. We want to thank you for listening to another dope episode of the Dad Bod Rap Pod. More fly conversation and interviews coming your way every week. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash dadbodrappod. And we're always down to interact with you on Twitter at dadbodrappod, all spelled out. Subscribe on Stitcher, Google Play, and iTunes.